I wanted to, uh, I don't know if it's gratitude, I don't know if it's thanks, I don't know, just another way to, or another time and, and uh, area here in which to praise our God, but I am so thankful to him and to you. I guess that's appropriate, both. Uh, for the way we turned out as a church for the Ash Wednesday service at First Presbyterian Church here in Midland, that was uh, such a blessing to me personally and from what I've been able to gather in the last four days, it was a tremendous blessing for all of us who participated in that service Wednesday night. You know, I assumed it was gonna be a blessing to us. I just knew it was gonna be because we were gonna go into a brand new kind of a setting, a brand new situation. We were gonna do things we've never done before. And I knew if we went into it asking God, okay, God, I'm yours tonight. Do with me what you will, that he would speak to us and he would show us what, what he wanted us to see and he would tell us what he wanted us to hear. And so that happened. And I thank God for that. Now, I've also heard a few things. I know my line for the ashes was slower than Steve's line. I understand that. I've heard that. But listen, that was my first time, okay? There's, there's an ashes to forehead ratio there, distribution plan that I was trying to figure out. Plus, when I saw you come to me. I wanted to bless you by name. And so I know it took me a little longer than it took Steve. So I'm still learning. We're all still learning. But I'll tell you this, before that service was even over, Pastor Steve Shore leaned over to me. I mean, we were still singing the song and he said, we got to have lunch next week and figure out what we're going to do next. I mean, it was such a blessing to that church too. Amen. I knew it was going to bless us. But I've heard from Steve and from other members at First Pres, it blessed them as much as it blessed us. It, uh, it gave them something new to experience in that church. And Steve tells me they've needed that for a while. So what a blessing. And I praise God for everything that happened Wednesday night. And we're going to do more of that. We're going to be a church here that's breaking down the walls between Christians. We're going to be a church in this city that breaks down the walls uh, between denominations. Amen. Amen. Okay, praise God. Uh, one more thing quickly. Um, Y'all noticed there's this group here sitting with us. Uh, it's kind of lonely down front, so we had to invite some friends from Amarillo uh, to come be with us this morning. Actually, this is our covenant group uh, for years at the Central Church in Amarillo. These are the people we did life with and did discipleship with. And we're all together on the same weekend, together in this church building. I'm just, these people right here, I'm telling you, this is a rich, deep source of encouragement and support and love for Carrie Ann and me and for our whole family for 10 years. And so we just love this group so much. Now, let me tell you about Evie Granado. Evie is by far the youngest member of our group. Evie just turned 10 a couple of weeks ago, right? Oh, wait, Michael's here. I Michael, I'm so sorry. Evie, I knew Evie before I knew you, Michael. So thank you, Karen. They keep me straight. See how that works? So Evie just turned 10 last month, and they're actually down here to see Evie because she was in a gymnastics thing at the Horseshoe Arena last night. So we're all watching Evie. Well, I've known Evie for since she was born. And uh, when we would dismiss the kids to children's worship, she would come down the aisle like all the other little kids, and we, I would sit on the aisle kind of like I do here, and I'd kind of give the kids high five, and we'd, hey, go get them, you know, I love you, good to see you, whatever. Evie kind of took it on herself to go a few steps further. She didn't just want a high five, she wanted like this secret handshake deal, and so we kind of developed a little thing right there in front of the whole church, and it was precious, and it was so sweet. 
And everybody just thought it was the coolest thing, and it made me feel so good. And after about six or seven months of that, I mean, Evie and I are really bonding. She walked down one day, one Sunday morning, in front of God and everybody, as we're dismissing the kids to worship, and she hands me a note. And the note said, preach good or else. <laughs> By Evie. So I've still got that note. And I'm watching you right here while I'm preaching up here. And I'm going to do my best, okay? I'm going to do my best. All right. Man, I'm so glad y'all are here. Um, okay, so I watch a lot of Seinfeld. If you don't, you should. But just follow me on this, okay? There's an episode where the whole gang gets invited to a party at Joe Mayo's house. And we don't know who Joe Mayo is, but what we do learn is that if you go to a party at Joe Mayo's house, he's going to give you a job. And they just, the gang all talks about that. Like they've all experienced it. They've all acknowledged it. If you go to a party at Joe Mayo's house, he's going to give you a job. In fact, that's almost the way Elaine says it right at the very end of their conversation at the beginning of the episode. She says, as soon as you walk in the door, he puts you to work. And sure enough, later on in the episode, they, they go to this party at Joe Mayo's house. Jerry and George are the first ones who get there. And Joe's like, hey, great. I'm glad you're here. George, do me a favor. Uh, why don't you stay by the phone in case people call who need directions? And George is like, I'm on it. You know, he expected it. And then Joe Mayo walks up to Jerry and he says, Jerry, I've got a job for you. And Jerry says, music? And Joe goes, no, I need you to stay by the aquarium and make sure people don't tap the glass. And Jerry says, well, I can do both. And Joe goes, no, 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 we got it covered. I just want you to have fun. And so a couple of minutes later on in the episode, Elaine and her boyfriend Putty walk in and Joe greets him at the door and he's carrying a couple of coats. He says, Elaine, I need you to be in charge of the coats. And he puts two or three coats in Elaine's arms and then all the people just start piling their coats on Elaine. She turns around, walks out the door and it's just Putty and Mayo standing there. And Mayo looks right at him and he says, Putty, I've got a job for you. I need you to make sure nobody sets their drink on the sound system. And Putty goes, I'm on it, Joe Mayo. And I'm reminded, I love Elaine's line about a party at Joe Mayo's house. When she says, as soon as you walk in the door, he puts you to work. I love that. Everybody's involved when you go to a party at Joe Mayo's house. Everybody gets an assignment. Now, we've spent the last several weeks in here looking at Jesus. We've taken a good long look at our Lord Jesus Christ. Come and see Jesus. That's the invitation in the Gospels. Remember, we want to see Jesus over and over again. Come and see Jesus, especially in the Gospel of John. We want to see Jesus. Why? Because when you see Jesus, you see God. Jesus is God Almighty in the flesh, come down to this earth to show us in person exactly who God is and what God is doing and what our God is all about. And so for the last several weeks, we've seen Jesus and we've understood God. We've seen Jesus. We've seen him offend the religious people at his parties. We've seen him amaze the crowds with his miracles. We've seen Jesus teach and tell stories and preach. We have watched Jesus for the last several weeks. Because when we see Jesus, we get God. And so this morning, we're going to wrap up this little series by watching Jesus as he delegates. Jesus is a great delegator. As soon as you come into his presence, he puts you to work. 
Think about it. Jesus is always giving out assignments. He'll look you right in the eye and he'll say, come, follow me. He'll say, cast your nets on the other side. He'll say, put out into deep water. He'll look right at you in a crowd of 5,000 and say, you give them something to eat. You find a buddy and go to those villages and preach the kingdom of God. You go show the priest that you're healed. You go tell your family what the Lord has done for you today. You feed my sheep. That's Jesus. He's always putting people to work. He's always telling you what to do. One of my favorites is in Acts chapter 8. At the very end of Acts 8, we meet for the first time this guy named Saul. Saul is right there on the scene when Stephen is murdered for preaching the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Saul is holding everybody's coats and jackets. Because when you're hurling mid-sized boulders at Stephen's head, you don't want to be encumbered by a coat. And so Saul is holding the jackets. The Bible says he's giving his approval. And then the Bible says, after that, Saul began to destroy the church. He's going from house to house, it says, dragging off men and women and putting them in prison. Now, at the beginning of chapter 9, Saul is on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus, and he's armed with these letters from the authorities. He's looking for more Christians to throw in jail. Verse 3 says, as Saul neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city. And you will be told what you must do. Now in Damascus, there's this follower of Jesus named Ananias. And Jesus hunts him down. And he calls him by name too, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying and Ananias says, um, Lord, isn't this the bad guy? Maybe you haven't read the bulletin in the last two Sundays, Jesus, but this is the guy who's destroying your church. I don't want to tell you your business, Lord, but Saul has come here to throw Christians in jail. I don't want to go see Saul. I'm trying to avoid Saul. That's why my blinds are closed and the door is locked. How'd you get in here anyway? Verse 15 but the Lord said to Ananias, go, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. So Ananias does what Jesus tells him to do. By the way, that's a good idea. He gets up the guts or the faith or both or whatever. And he finds Saul, and he calls him brother. I think that's interesting. He baptizes Saul, and then he feeds him a meal. And then he ordains the greatest missionary and church planter in the history of the world. You see what Jesus is doing here? He's delegating. Jesus chooses an enemy of the church, and he calls a disciple, a friend. And he gives both of them jobs. He gives them assignments. 
Neither one of them was looking for this. Saul wasn't looking for a new religion. Saul wasn't looking for some new direction in his life. He was an up-and-comer. He was, he was climbing the ladder of success politically and religiously and socially. He knew exactly what he was doing, and he knew exactly where he was going when Jesus stopped him dead in his tracks and gave him a job and changed everything. Same with Ananias. Ananias wasn't looking for trouble. I don't know what he was doing that day. If he was eating a sandwich or he was mowing the yard or cleaning out the garage or unloading the dishwasher. I don't know what Ananias was doing. But Jesus just, he just pushed in. He just intruded. Maybe in a place where he wasn't really wanted. But he gave Ananias a job. Both of these guys had their lives turned upside down by this call. And they were both sent to places they didn't want to go. And they both made speeches they didn't write. Do you see it? Do you see what Jesus does here? When we see Jesus choose people and call people and give them an assignment, what are we supposed to see about God? What are we supposed to learn about the kingdom of God? Well, one of those things is God's story is not finished yet. What our God is doing in this world, church, it's not done. It's still unfolding. These kinds of episodes, and there's a ton of them in Acts, they show us that this thing did not end at Jesus' death and resurrection. It's still going. People like Saul and Ananias We're all chosen to play a part. And we see here in this story, the risen Christ, he's kind of standing in the wings, you know. He's he's calling people. He's pushing them out on the stage. He's encouraging them. He's telling them what to do, and he's giving them their lines. And what we see in Acts is ordinary men and women acting like Jesus. This is how Jesus operates. We've seen this over the last six or seven weeks together in here. Whatever the father called the son to do, the son was never interested in doing it by himself. The first thing he did in his ministry was to call a group of 12 ordinary guys. I believe they were teenagers. And he calls them to drop what they're doing and do what he wants them to do instead. Mark chapter 3 gives us one of these instances. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. Next verse, he appointed 12 that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And by the way, Jesus never seemed overly concerned with their experience or their character or their skills We've noticed Jesus gives a lot of jobs to losers and knuckleheads. Have you picked up on that? He chose them and he gave them assignments, not because they were open to his teaching, not because they were super smart or because they were extra religious. He called them and gave them jobs because he wanted them to join him in his work. Jesus says, come unto me. And then he says, now go out into the world. That's how our Lord operates. And and we don't really know much about these guys. We don't know much about their feelings. We don't know much about, you know, how they were 
doing when, when Jesus called them. We don't know about their doubts. We don't know about any fears they might have had. Why is that? Because it's not really about them. It's not about these men and women. This is about Jesus Christ our Lord and who these men and women become when they say yes to Jesus' invitation. When they accept the assignment. When we see Jesus delegate, we see that God's story is not finished. And we also see that God's mission includes us. God's mission necessarily involves you and me. On that last night when Jesus was eating with his disciples, and the next day it felt like the story was going to be over. Jesus tells them, he says, I tell you the truth. He sounds like one of us, doesn't he? I'm telling you. Anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these. You'll do even greater things. That's what Jesus says. Wild things, incredible things, unbelievable things you haven't even imagined yet. Because I'm going to the Father, Jesus says. Then I'm going to live inside you. You're going to do what I've been doing, but better, greater. You buy that? I don't know if I'm sitting around the table with Jesus and I'm thinking through all the things I've seen Jesus do over the last three years. Wait a second, Lord. We're, <laughs> I'm looking around at the people at the table. We're going to do something greater than you? How is that possible, Lord? And Jesus says, look, for three years, I've been feeding and healing and forgiving and reconciling and saving right here in these little fishing villages in the northern part of Israel. But when I return to the Father and I live inside you by my Holy Spirit, then you and everybody who comes after you, everybody who accepts the assignment, they're going to be feeding and healing and forgiving and reconciling and saving not only in northern Israel but in Judea and in Samaria and to the other parts of the earth even to a place called Texas which you haven't heard of yet but I promise you would love and they're going to do it until the end of time living inside you if you'll just accept the assignment and that's what we see when people say yes to Jesus' job. We, we see it in every paragraph in Acts. We see Peter and John healing the crippled guy, just like Jesus did. Paul's very first sermon almost gets him killed, just like Jesus' did. The crowds described the apostles' teaching as amazing. Same word they used to describe our Lord's teaching. We see these normal men and women fasting and praying just like Jesus. And they're preaching scripture in the synagogues. And they're driving out demons just like Jesus. These, these people called by Christ are able to judge the hearts and minds of others. And they're led and empowered by God's Holy Spirit to do everything Jesus was doing. And then when they're murdered for proclaiming the kingdom of God, they die just like Jesus. Stephen was executed with the words of our Lord on his lips. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus calls ordinary people into something so much bigger than their own lives. He sweeps all of us up and he plugs us into that story. The story of Christ and the kingdom of God. 
Without his call, without these jobs that he gives us, our lives are very small and they're very insignificant. But with Jesus Christ, by accepting the assignments he gives us, our lives mean everything. All of us. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says we are forgiven of our sins, we are made righteous, and we're made whole. And all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us or assigned us the ministry of reconciliation. That God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has given to us, he has commissioned us, he has committed to us this same ministry of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We are all of us Jesus' holy representatives. We are saved and called by God to do his work in the world. Listen, our King Jesus did not save you and then move on to another project. Jesus saved you in order to do his work through you. It's very clear in the Bible. It says it dozens of times. We're God's fellow workers. We are co-workers with Christ. Listen, Jesus is not the way for you to climb up to God. Jesus is the way God comes down to you. Jesus is not the way you get what you want out of God. Jesus is how God gets what he wants out of you. You follow me? Jesus is not like, man, I just, I need something to make my life better. Whatever I want out of life, I want peace, I want enjoyment, I want love, I want prosperity, I want everything to go well, good health. And so I can get all that from Jesus. Jesus is good for me in those ways. That's not what it is. It's also not, you know, I've tried fame and fortune, I've tried family, I've tried career, I've tried drugs, I've tried alcohol, I've tried sex, I've tried 12-step programs, uh, Eastern spirituality, none of that works. Let me give Jesus a try. That'll be good for me. It's not that either. Brothers and sisters, it's so much bigger than that. It's God through Christ comes here to us. He comes here in our flesh and blood and he barges in and he he tells you what to do, and they're hard things. Think about this just for a second. If you were to dream up a holy son of God to come here and give you all of your desires to fulfill all of your wishes and to make your life really great, you never would have dreamed up a man like Jesus. No way. But there he is. He's standing right next to you. And he's making some pretty hard Demands. That's why very few people ever came to Jesus. Jesus usually had to go to them. And Jesus never one time said, accept me. He never said, agree with me. He said, follow me. And right after he said that, he usually said something like, and don't be afraid. Which tells you everything you need to know about the job. These stories in the Bible, these these ordinary people doing incredible things. This is your story too. Just like Saul on his way to Damascus, this is you on your way to Big Spring or Lubbock or Dallas or on your way to Walmart. Just 
Whatever it is you're doing, just as you go along every day, kind of doing your thing, you know, like, like Peter and his nets and, and Matthew counting his money and Nathaniel, remember, just kind of sitting under his tree. This is you. And now what does God through Christ need to do to get your attention? Are you looking for him? Are you listening for what he's calling you to do? Because it's coming. If it hasn't yet, it is. He doesn't let anybody get away without giving them an assignment. You've got a job. God's mission, including you, might be an uncomfortable idea. But when we see Jesus delegate like this, I think we can be comforted to also see that God's plans belong to God. To us has been delegated the work of the kingdom of God. The work of the kingdom of God on this earth is ours. But now look around this room. I, I want you to. Everybody in the front, look at the people in the back. People in the back, look around this room, around the sides. Look at, look at somebody in the eyes. You see anybody in here capable of bringing the kingdom of God to Midland? You see anybody in here equipped to do that? No way. I know some of you people. It's not going to happen. The only way that would ever happen, and this is what gives us not only so much comfort, but church, so much courage, is that Jesus knows the same thing about you that I know about you. He knows more about us than any of us know, and that is we don't know what we're doing. We don't have a clue how to do it. And when we do try something, we're probably going to mess it up. Can I get an amen on that? But we can take comfort and courage knowing that Jesus knows that too. He knows the jobs that he gives us are too big for us. He knows. What we know is that when we say yes to the job he gives us, what we know is that Jesus knows what he's doing. And he is able. He is able. And yes, Jesus probably should have chosen other people besides us to go and bear fruit for his kingdom. But God is gracious and Jesus is powerful and the Holy Spirit is in us, church. And when the Lord calls somebody like you to work as a witness in his kingdom, he knows what he's doing. And yes, you have doubts and you have fears and you've got some pretty serious hangups, no question. But Jesus can work with that. That's exactly how he operates. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 is all you need to know. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. This is God's deal. It's not ours. This is not yours. This is all his. Listen, salvation does not belong to us. Salvation belongs to the lamb, to the one who sits on the throne. And it's weird to think about, but most of the time, Jesus has more faith in you than you've got in him. Around the table on that last night, remember he told his followers, he said, you're going to go, I'm going to send you, and you're going to change everything. You're going to turn the whole world upside down. Remember what he said? You didn't choose me, I chose you. God's plans belong to God. And his plan is to accomplish his plan through you and through me. 1 Peter 2, 2, chapter 9 says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. 
You are a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. All the Christians, all the baptized, all of us are pastors and priests. Now you are the body of Christ, that's what the Bible says, and members of it. This whole thing is on God, it's not on us. This is about his power, not ours. 2 Peter chapter 1, his divine power has given us everything we need and will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. You know that judgment scene at the end of Matthew 25? How are we doing here? That is about, that's an emptiest gesture a preacher can ever make what I just did. But you know that there's a, there's a judgment scene at the end of Matthew 25 where Jesus is on his throne and he's separating everybody. He's got the goats on the left. He's got the sheep on the right. So he puts these goats over here. And these are the people who didn't uh, visit the prisoners. They didn't take care of the sick. They didn't clothe the naked or feed the hungry. And Jesus says they're going to be punished. And then over here, he takes the sheep. He puts them. These are the sheep. These are the ones who took care of the poor, took care of the needy. They visited people in prison. They were hospitable to the refugees, that kind of thing. They're over here. And, and they're not going to be punished. They're like, you know, job well done. Come into the kingdom of God prepared for you. What, what's striking to me is that both the sheep and the goats, they respond the exact same way to Jesus. Both groups of people, remember, what do they say? We don't know what you're talking about, God. Remember? When did we see you? I, how does this work? I don't understand. What's going on here? They both groups said the same thing to the Lord on the day of judgment. And so if you think that some Christians have some kind of special insight that other Christians don't, you're wrong. Matthew 25 is like this symphony of ignorance. Nobody knows anything. It's enough just to accept the assignment. It's enough to just say yes to the job. Ephesians 2, chapter 10. Oh, that's not it. Wrong marker. Ephesians 2, Ephesians 2, chapter 10. Well, God's, God's created us. We are his handiwork. I'm going to have to, here it is. We're his handiwork, right? We're his workmanship, created in Christ. I could have read it off the screen, I guess. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. Here's the bottom line, okay? Everybody's got a job. Everybody's got an assignment, only we're not a group of friends going to a party at Joe Mayo's house. Church, we are the body of Christ in the eternal kingdom of God. And when you walk in, when you say yes to his invitation, and when you accept the assignment, he'll turn the world upside down. Now, he'll start with you. He'll turn your world upside down first. But he'll change everything. And my question to you is, are you open to it? Are you looking for it? Are you listening for the assignment? I don't know what job the Lord is wanting to give you. I don't know how he wants to delegate to you personally, but I do know it's something. It's something. You know, the last couple of Sundays, we've been looking at these pictures of these new brothers and sisters in Christ who are coming out of the teen challenge ministry you talk about a ministry that's changing lives by God's grace in this city that's it and God might be calling you to volunteer with Teen Challenge I'm telling you right now they're looking they need volunteers 
And you don't have to do anything but just show up. You just show up and encourage people. You just tell, tell guys that you love them. Just, just pray with this young lady. Just be there in the room with them. That's all they need. Um, and I don't even know. These guys are probably all out of town. But like you can talk. Where's Clay Wooten? Where are you, Clay? Raise your hand. If you feel like God's calling you to work with Teen Challenge, there's your man right there. You talk to Clay right after church. Um, you talk to Karen Meek. Where is Karen? Karen, can you raise your hand right here? You see her back there? If you feel like God's calling you to do something that'll change you and change other people for the kingdom, you talk to Karen. She'll get you plugged in. Um, I think about our children's ministry. You know, we've got a problem right now in this church that not a lot of churches have right now, and that is we got a lot of kids coming here. And it's a beautiful problem to have, but our children's coordinators need some volunteers. And I don't know if you feel led to minister to little kids, but it'll change your life. And it'll forever impact theirs. Forever. And so, I mean, we're, we're needing them, right? Ashley Hill, raise your hand, Ashley. If you feel led to work with our little kiddos here, you talk to Ashley. Where's Kristen? Kristen Rampton, where are you? Is Kristen in the room? There's Ryan. Ryan, raise your hand. You'll get him in touch with Kristen. Yeah, and where's Shannon? Are you in the room, Shannon? Shannon Augustson. She's back. Eric, right here. Eric, you'll get... See, they're working with the kids, right? They need help. They need help. Uh, I don't know. God may be calling you to that. We're going to revamp our welcome team and our greeters here. Two weeks from today, we're going to have a lunch and kind of a training, kind of an inspirational, hey, this is, this is what being a greeter is all about. If you feel called by God to welcome people into this church for the very first time and to be that person who helps connect people, we would love to talk to you. Ryan, right there, he'll get you plugged in. Talk to me. I would be excited to get you involved in our, in our welcome team, in our, our greeters ministry. But, but here, here's what I'm asking you to do. Would you just pray about this? And don't just talk to God about it. Listen to God. Listen to his voice. And then whatever it is, I don't know. I've just mentioned three things. There are 3,000 things. But accept the assignment. Say yes. At the end of Matthew chapter 9, so I love this. Jesus is telling his disciples to pray for the harvesters. Remember this? Pray for the workers. We need more workers. Pray about these workers. We need more. Where are these workers going to come from? That's the last verse of Matthew 9. The very next verse, Jesus calls his 12 disciples to him and he gives them authority and then he sends them out. You're the ones. See how that works? Pray for workers. Oh, man, I'm the worker. <laughs> I don't know if I want to pray that prayer. That's how Jesus works. I want you to pray that prayer. We need workers. Pray for them and then see if Jesus doesn't call you to answer that. Because he doesn't save people by himself. He doesn't want to. He assigns normal men and women, the rich and the poor, the young and the old, the educated, the non-educated. He calls brand new Christians and longtime followers to join him in changing lives and reshaping the world. And listen, if anybody ever has a problem with you following Jesus, if anybody ever questions why you spend the time and the energy and the money into your kingdom of God assignment that you do, you can look them right in the eye with a clear conscience and you can say, you take it up with Jesus. This was his idea. I've tried for years to get out of this, but you know the Lord. He won't take no for an answer. Three days after his crucifixion, this was on Sunday morning, resurrection day. 
couple of disciples are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus and they're depressed. They had put all their hope in Jesus and now he's dead. And then a stranger joins them on the road. This stranger talks with them and discusses scripture with them. And then he invites himself over to their house and he sits down at their table and he kind of takes over the meal. He takes the bread and he blesses it. And he breaks it. And he gives it to them. And their eyes were opened and they saw Jesus. And what they saw was that the Jesus movement had not ended. It was just beginning the kingdom of God was advancing right on track and these two ordinary followers ran all the way back to Jerusalem to spread the good news. That's a Christian right there. Somebody who has been surprised by Jesus. You're just walking along, you're minding your own business and suddenly there's Jesus. He's barging in, he's pushing in, he's coming in where maybe you don't want him and he's standing right there giving you a job. Telling you what to do. That's what Jesus does. And when he does that, when you see him, get ready. Because he's probably going to give you a job. Would y'all stand with me, please? Here's what I'm going to do. Corey, get your group up here, brother. Um, we're going to sing a song. But instead of the ministers and elders being down here to receive you for prayer, here's what we're going to do. We're all pastors and priests in this church. Every one of us. Amen? Y'all are like, oh no, he's about to ask us to do something. <laughs> I am. I am. While we sing this song, I want you to look around the room and I want you to find somebody who you know could use a prayer. You know who they are. And if you don't know, Find somebody who you could just celebrate something with right now. Find somebody who just needs a pat on the back. Find somebody who just could use an encouragement word. Somebody you could just walk up to during this song and say, hey, you know what? God loves you, and I do too. People need to hear that. The world doesn't tell us that. We only hear it in here. Do that, okay? Let's get up out of our comfort zone. Let's go somewhere where maybe you don't want to go, and let's say some things that maybe somebody else is telling us to say. Kind of like Saul and Ananias. And let's just spend that time. God might do something. He might. Church, let's sing together and let's pray.